dispensing cannabis business knowledge beyond a million square feet of cultivation space. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents Blunt Business, harvested by Strainwise Consulting. Together, we will navigate the challenges and opportunities of one of the most profitable industries on earth. Join us each episode to hear our weekly roundtables and interviews with industry professionals. Now, let's delve into some blunt business with your host, Sean Eubanks. Thanks for joining us and welcome to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Business Development with Strainwise Consulting. Stay tuned to the very end of this podcast where I'll bring on attorney Jay Kotzker for our segment called The Week in Weed. He'll discuss the recent and relevant financial, political, and social events that affect you and your cannabis business. Now, on today's show, we have Shane Blocker, who is the owner and founder of National Investment Connection. He served 14 years in the Air Force working military intelligence. He's a former banker and realtor. Uh, While in the military, he became heavily involved with real estate in Anchorage, Alaska and San Antonio, Texas. In 2003, he moved to Las Vegas and got his real estate license and began working with luxury homeowners. Today, he and his partner, Greg, own National Investment Connection, which is a national company that offers owners of cannabis companies and ancillary companies with large volumes of cash a solution to get their bags of cash safely into a bank account that won't be shut down. Because of their innovative attorney-approved solutions, their company has recently appeared in Marijuana Business Magazine, Cannabis Talk 101, as well as making the cover of the November issue of Cannabis Journal. Shane, welcome to the show. How you doing today, Sean? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So you guys have uh, some cutting edge stuff. You have a real estate background. Um, the biggest problem right now, one of one of the largest problems facing all cannabis businesses is what to do with their cash. Um, many times we're not bankable. You have bank accounts being shut down. And so the point of you coming on the show, Shane, is to talk about a solution for that. Um, it's, it's innovative. It's creative. It has to do with real estate. It's asset backed. It sounds great to me. Um, how long ago did you guys form this company? Uh, we started the company the beginning of the year, uh, but it took us a long time to get through the legal process to make sure that, um, we were actually going to have a legal way to do it where we weren't doing money laundering or racketeering or anything like that. Yeah, and your your uh, attorney approved, so you've had it vetted that way. So explain to us the program. So I'm a cannabis business, and I need to give you. I have a lot of cash that I'm sitting on, and I want to make that bankable. Right now, I have a solution of putting that under my mattress, putting it in a safe. Um, well documented troubles in the cannabis industry with just what to do with cash, and you have a solution for that. We do. You know, oddly enough, it was law enforcement that actually uh, brought us the issue. And, you know, I guess part of the design of the laws were to get the money off the street, out of the gangs, into legitimate businesses, and ultimately into the bank. And, of course, the banking solution, although there are some states that have a solution, it's very expensive. Um, But law enforcement brought it to us and said, hey, the system's broke. We've got the money coming off the streets. It's going into the legitimate businesses, but then those legitimate businesses are getting robbed. There are people being kidnapped, tortured, murdered, what have you. And so we, they really wanted a solution to get the money into the bank. And, uh, you know, the first two times that it was brought to me, I said, no, 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 I'm not interested. They, they first wanted me with a banking background to open a new bank. And I said, I'm going to run into the same problems everybody else does. 
then they came back and they said, hey, you know, what about opening up vaults? And I said, no, that's not going to work either. But um, it wasn't until I really started to read a little bit about the danger people were in and how it was a persistent problem, not just in a local area, but nationally everybody was having these problems. Um, even in states that did have banks, because the banks were sometimes cost prohibitive. Um, and so at that point I decided, you know, I think I can use real estate as a legal vehicle to get the money into the banks, into bank accounts that won't be closed. And um, that's how we kind of got started. Okay. And so you did your due diligence and you found out, okay, they can purchase real estate. We can take cash from a cannabis business operator. And uh, how does that work? Does uh, So if, if someone has a million dollars that they call you and say, listen, please purchase real estate for me. Um, yeah. I mean, we have to kind of vet them out. Um, when we had our attorneys start this investigation to get us to the point of having a legal opinion letter, um, we had to make sure that there was a process and that we were, we were inviting the right clients to work with us. And so we had to make sure that they were going to be legally operational in their respective states, cities, um, counties, so forth. Um, had to make sure that they were coal memo compliant. Had to make sure that they had paid their taxes so that they had told Uncle Sam what the source of the income was. Um, and then once we were able to identify that, then if they were a good candidate, then we had to have a solution to find residential properties for them to purchase. Um, but it had to be something where that they could build in enough equity to where that our costs, because we obviously don't work for free, our costs and the attorney's costs could be absorbed in that. And so we set out to make a plan first to make sure it was legal, but then also a plan to make sure that we were identifying the perfect properties in each region for them to actually be able to uh, go into these homes, do a rehab, do a facelift on them, and then be able to build in the equity to cover our costs. So if somebody gave us a million dollars to go and, and spend on real estate, they were getting a million dollars back in the bank. Okay. And so uh, great points you made there. You're, you're vetting the company. Obviously, you need to have a license. You need to be current with your taxes, either your you've filed extensions, but basically be in good standing with the IRS. I think that goes without saying. Um, okay. And so when someone approaches you and says, uh, look, Shane, um, I like to deploy this much capital. Um, do you start with identifying properties in their state? So say we're in Colorado right now and we want to move forward and, and have you deploy some capital. Do you look in Colorado for us and uh, for, you know, REOs, bank owned properties or distressed properties where you've got a little bit of equity, you can, you can rehab that property. What's the first step with getting started with you, Shane? Well, the first step is a, a phone call with me so I can vet them out. And once we determine that, yes, they're a good candidate, I set them up with a realtor and an attorney in their respective state. Okay. Um, again, people can't be moving their cash. You know, it's legal, like where you are in Colorado, it's legal to make the money in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Moving the money across state lines becomes a federal issue. Um, so we always deploy those funds within that state. So. With my background and my partner's background, we had 30,000 realtors across the U.S., so we were able to pick the best of the best. 
our lead attorney is here in Las Vegas, but he also had was in a similar situation where he had all kinds of contacts with attorneys. So he could pick the best of the best. And then we set up teams all across the U.S. to actually facilitate and implement um, the transactions for everybody. And so what we're going to do is we'd have a conversation. I'd learn a little bit about their company, what their needs are, make sure that they are in compliance so that we can actually have them as a candidate. I'd set them up with the attorney in their respective area, the realtor in their respective area. The attorney will start off with the legal portion, um, setting them up a new LLC that is a company that's not cannabis related so they can open a bank account, um, usually a real estate holding company. Um, and then the realtor starts to look for properties. Now we're always looking for homes that are residential. They've got to make sure that those homes are going to end up being median price. Um, they've got to be within your state. And, you know, you had mentioned Dario's and things like that. We don't actually look for those type properties because we know that that'll be an automatic no. What I mean by that is if you go to a bank, the bank isn't going to take your truckload of cash. And, you know, we kind of joke a little bit because whenever we talk to sellers and we say, hey, by the way, you're going to get a truckload of cash. They go, yay. And then I go, no, wait, you're really getting a truck with cash. And they go, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. What do you mean? <laughs> so um, we have to be careful. We're looking for sellers that we can go directly to the seller. They don't even realize that they're on market. Uh, we have a marketing campaign to find those properties, identify them, and pick them up so that they're not on the multiple listing service. They're not an IRS tax lien. They're not probate. They're not REO, uh, which for those in the audience that don't know REO, that's a foreclosure. Um, we're looking for those that we can get in and actually move real true blue dollar bills to do a closing. Okay. And then quickly, why would an REO be disqualified? Um, REOs are going to go through a bank mm -hmm. and going through that bank, there are federal regulations where that that bank already the situation with banks is if they take money that they know to be cannabis related, the FinCEN guidance letter, um, for those that don't know, FinCEN is Financial Crime Enforcement Network. That letter has, uh, it, it doesn't say that banks can't take cannabis or cannabis related uh, money. It actually says that they can. But if you actually read that letter, which you can find online, the closing paragraph puts all the burden on the bank and the board to be responsible to know their client when they accept that cash, if they knowingly know that it comes from cannabis. So when they put that burden, you know, I mean, just a hypothetical, I own a dispensary. I'm depositing to a bank. I have a great relationship with the bank. A bud tender steals a gram of, of marijuana and sells it out the back door to a 13-year-old. Well, that bud tender is in trouble. The dispensary owner could be in trouble. And ultimately, the bank and board are in trouble. Um, so most banks will not take um, cannabis-related money. If they do, um, you know, they have high risk. Okay. High risk means high expense. So that's why in the states like where you are in Colorado, where there are multiple banks, it tends to be very cost prohibitive and expensive because they're high risk. They have to be paid for that. And that's why it's expensive there. 
Okay. We need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Shane Blocker, who is the owner and co-founder of National Investment Connection. During the break, check out their website, nationalinvestmentconnection.com. We will be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Introducing 420 Cloud, ignited by MSIG, one of the fastest growing social apps around. The only app you'll need for all things cannabis. Find the latest cannabis news, videos, and stories, ranging from business and tech to sports and medicine. Start your career in cannabis by seeking, identifying, and applying for jobs through our expansive listings. For businesses, 420cloud.com features a full-scale cross-channel network, monetizing high traffic for big data conversion and analytics. Download 420 Cloud now from the iTunes Store or Google Play. MSIG.com is a publicly listed company on the OTC. Symbol MCIG. At Alternative Vibes, our core values of quality, loyalty, respect, and honesty guides us in our mission to help families find peace and harmony through our products and services. Whether you are looking for a more natural way of living, shopping for essential oils, topicals, and edibles, or searching for a path towards achieving your goals, we are your choice. Learn more about our complete line of natural products and solutions at AlternativeVibes.com. Bringing quality of living to life. AlternativeVibes.com. Cannabis concentrates have been around for hundreds of centuries. In 19th century America, extracts mixed with other herbs were sold as a miracle cure. Now, Apex Supercritical has elevated the science of extraction into the 21st century. Apex Supercritical is the leader in CO2 extraction, which is the cleanest, safest, and purest way to extract plant oils. ROI in as little as three weeks. Our cost-effective systems are fully automated with an industry-leading three-year warranty. And if we don't have your system in stock, we can build one in as little as four weeks. Bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Business Development with Strainwise Consulting. And we have been talking to Shane Blocker, who is the owner and co-founder of National Investment Connection. Welcome back, Shane. Hi, Sean. Okay, so we established in the last segment, you know, no REOs, and we want to get sort of uh, around the median price. And what we're working towards, Shane, is is kind of an actual deal structure here to paint the picture for our listeners to see, you know, what if they should call you, uh, and and you know, and and some of the pitfalls there, and 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 how to how to do business with you. Um, so. With your median price, let's say in Colorado, your median price here is about four hundred thousand. Um, are you looking for a certain percentage of equity? Because because you are going to try to you want to rehab these properties, correct, Shane? Correct. Okay. So let's take Colorado as a good example. So your median price where you are is four hundred and fifty thousand. Okay. Um, you come to me, or one of your clients come to me and say, "Hey." I've got a million dollars to spend. I'm not going to take that million dollars and go to my realtors and say, hey, go buy a million dollar property. That's going to sit too long. Okay. People in your industry want their money to be processed through and in the bank as quickly as possible. So what we would typically do is we would go and we would find a home that we could purchase that's off market for around $350, 365 that needs a basic facelift. So it's going to need paint. It's going to need carpet. Um, replace the light fixtures and plumbing fixtures. But nothing like fire damage or a major flood or anything like that. 
but something where the, when the client, the, the buyer, ultimately walks in, they go, oh my gosh, it's so nice, it's so beautiful, it's so clean. Because that's where the quick sale is going to come. And so we're going to go and we're going to buy that property for $350, $365. We're going to spend probably about 10% on repairs. So we're going to be under $400 when we actually close that property. And that, that's acquiring it and actually doing the rehab on it. We're going to turn around and we know that the median price is $450. We're going to sell it for $450 so that our client gets back their $400. The reason that we target these homes that are median price is because those are the homes that statistically across the nation are selling in 7 to 10 days. If it's priced right and it's median price, it sells quick if it looks good. And that's what we're going to do is make it look really good. Um, but over and above that, we needed a good strategy, not just to move money and get it into the bank, but it wasn't a good strategy if somebody came to me and said, I've got 400 grand and they only got back 320 or 350. That's a great deal for me, but it's not a great deal for them. Sure. So we needed to target properties where that we could build in equity so we could get paid. And so in that scenario where that we buy a house for 350, 365 in Colorado, we do the facelift, we're into it for 400, we turn around and sell it for 450, that's where we make our money because we, we do charge fees. Um, we charge nine and a half percent. Some people will say, oh gosh, well you're realtors, that's really expensive. But remember, we've gotta go, we've gotta spend the marketing to find that property. We've gotta get that property under contract, overcome all the seller's objections, which again, you know, you tell people you bring in a truckload of cash, they're excited until they realize it's a real truck with real dollar bills. Then they're not so excited because that's not what they're used to. And so um, we needed a good solution. And that's how we actually lay it out and play it out. You, you know, also, we should probably go over timelines. Um, but that's kind of an important item for our transactions. When that you say go or one of our clients say go. For the first 30 days, they actually are in possession of their own cash. Then we actually do the acquisition closing so that the, the property is transferred into their uh, name, into the LLC name. Um, and then we immediately start the rehab. We immediately start the marketing on those properties. Um, that usually takes seven to 10 days because it's all worked out ahead of time. And then median price, most of those buyers are going to be people with loans. So with them having loans, that's going to take 30 days to close. So our clients are usually in and out of these properties in about 90 days, bearing in mind the first 30 days, they actually are in possession of their cash. And for that remaining 60 days, the cash that's out of their pocket now is secured by the deed to the property. That's a great point. And so just to be clear, you are you identify the property, you say we want to purchase it only on the day that you go to closing does the customer, the financier, the, the banker at this point, uh, the cannabis business, they have to part ways with their cash only on the day of closing, correct? That is correct. They, When we put the property under contract, they do put up 1% of the purchase price in cash. Okay. Um, that's all they have out of pocket in the beginning. Um, during that 30 days, while they're in, still in possession of their, prop, of their uh, cash and the property's under contract, um, the realtors are doing important things like a home inspection. 
They're getting the contractors in to bid out the work. They're lining up the contractors with a specific start date the day after it closes. The attorneys are doing important items like making sure what mortgages are out there, what kind of tax liens, anything like mechanics liens, anything that have to be cleared. So we're all working that process, but that whole time, the investor, the, the cannabis uh, business owner, um, is still in possession of their cash. It's not until the day of closing that the attorney schedules for an armored transport to pick up that cash, deliver it to everybody that's got to be paid to provide clear title, and then they record the deed into the cannabis owner's LLC. And this goes through the attorney's office. So the actual truckload of cash gets delivered to the attorney's office, correct? They don't. Um, an attorney isn't going to want to take four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars in cash. It's a liability issue, and we as realtors can't actually take it. So the attorney actually coordinates on closing day for that armored vehicle to pick up the cash from our client. And that day, they deliver it straight through to mortgage companies. They deliver it to um, any, any mechanics liens being paid off, trash liens, things like that. Any remaining funds are delivered to the seller at the seller's bank. And that is pre-coordinated. You can't just show up and say, hey, I got $200,000 in cash in a truck outside. The attorney pre-coordinates that with the okay. seller's bank so that they know that it's going to come, uh, be arriving. Of course, that seller is going to have a SAR report. Um, and with that SAR report, it's going to simply be identified as the sale of real estate. And they're going to be able to prove that because the seller has the closing documents from the attorney. Okay, if I'm gonna get a SAR report, right? Why not just wire you the money? Why do I have to go through the trouble of having uh, arranging the trucks uh, with the cash? Well, bear in mind, it's the seller that's, that's selling the property that has the SAR report. It is not a SAR report on the buyer. Okay. Okay. Um, our client at that juncture is the buyer who's doing the acquisition and will eventually become the seller um, 30 days later. But right at this point, they are the buyer and the SAR report is done on the seller. Okay. If someone contacts you, Shane, and says, listen, this is a great idea. I just don't like the idea of, of I think, trucking cash, uh, an extra truck or paying our security firm or, or yours or whatever is an extra step. I would just like to wire you this money. It's canvas money. Can you not accept a wire for that? We sure can, but we haven't run into that because in order for them to do a wire, they already have money sitting in the bank. And most of our clients, not all, but most of our clients um, are in a situation where that they don't have the bank accounts. The bank accounts have already been closed. They're trying to get the money into the bank. If they already had it in the bank, they wouldn't be looking for our services. And I will qualify that with an exception. We have had clients in states that do have banks, but those banks have limitations they want to, though our clients want to expand into other areas, but they still can't move that money across state lines. So we've had people in Oregon, Washington, even in Colorado that say, hey, I want to open a business in California and expand out my business, but they can't move the money. 
Right. And so you might have some clients who are, you know, bank accounts and the, the reality of the, the industry is sometimes your bank accounts are open, sometimes they're closed. Uh, the inevitable reality is that you're going to get them closed eventually, but uh, sometimes you're allowed to open them up and, and vice versa. So you might run into, Shane, a couple of clients that have a little bit of cash, but I think the point, or cash in the bank, uh, but the point being is they're wanting to convert this from cannabis cash that's stuck in their state to a to profits from a real estate transaction or sale of a piece of real estate that go into an account that is essentially no longer cannabis money, right? Is there any other way to say that? I mean, is that pretty much the direct line that, what we're trying to do? You got it exactly, Sean. Um, okay. If that you own a grow facility and you're taking your cash and putting it in the bank, eventually the bank is going to shut you down and they are going to tag you in that SAR report as marijuana or marijuana related, um, which is going to cause you a problem in opening other bank accounts and other banks in most circumstances. Um, when we move the money, the money goes into the bank via a wire when we, when we sell that property, okay, after we've acquired it, rehabbed it, and we sell it, that money is going to go by wire into a new bank account under a new LLC, and when it does, it is going to come in and be tagged as being real estate and real estate related, which well, then I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. that oh, no, that's okay. Uh, which then takes away the problem from the bank and the FinCEN letter that says when it's cannabis or marijuana and or marijuana related, it's no longer. So far as the bank sees, it's from the sale of real estate. Now the federal government. We still have to be transparent and tell the federal government what it is that we're doing. Otherwise, it's money laundering. So we have to be careful that the federal government, Uncle Sam knows everything. The bank just doesn't when they receive the funds. Okay. And if I understand this correctly, Shane, so I've got, I pull a million dollars out of my cultivation center, a cannabis cultivation center. Um, it makes its way to you for a real estate transaction. You then after you know, 30, 120 days, somewhere along those lines, once it's complete, you will give it back to me. And now I have real estate cash that I can tell I can give back to you, Shane, and you can invest that in different places of the country now, right? We can go across state lines now. That is absolutely correct. Um, so we have people that want to expand their business. That's why they're doing this. Some people just want to get the money in the bank. Yep. We've had clients that say, hey, it's great to get it into the bank, but my million dollars in a year, even with interest, isn't going to buy me the same thing due to inflation. So some of them have approached us and said, hey, do you know of other opportunities? And so sometimes we can point them in the right direction with that. But it gives them the flexibility to do just about anything that they want now. They can move it across state lines, they can invest it in other things, and they're, they're ready to go. Okay. Would anyone ask you, Shane, to keep the money in play and own the property and just cash flow and put a renter in there and just get disbursements that way. We have had several people approach us um, in particular in California um, that have said, Hey, I, I have one lady that talked to me and she said, Hey, I own four grow facilities. I want to open a fifth grow facility, but nobody will take my cash. Um, she's talking about primarily escrow for, for those people that in the audience that are in escrow states, escrow companies won't take true blue dollar bills. Um, they want to wire. 
And so she said, hey, I can't close anything. And I'm like, hey, we have attorneys. We can go ahead and use the attorneys to do that closing and facilitate it for you. We have had other people that say, hey, we want to buy warehouses and open them up for um, other growers to grow. And so, yes, we can absolutely do that, albeit that is not the majority of our business. Okay, we need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Shane Blocker, who's the owner and co-founder of National Investment Connection. During the break, check out their website, nationalinvestmentconnection.com. We will be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Introducing Blue Moon CBD, straight from the bluegrass of Kentucky. With our special nano emulsion process, you'll not only get the best CBD available, you'll get more of it. Not all CBD is the same. It's your body. It's your choice. Get relief from inflammation, anxiety, and stress. Go to www.bluemoonhemp.com and use code HEMP420 for a 20% discount on your order. Balance your body. Balance your life. Make it Blue Moon CBD. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Business Development with Strainwise Consulting. We have been talking to Shane Blocker, owner and co-founder of National Investment Connection. Welcome back, Shane. Thank you very much, Sean. Okay, so we covered some pretty groundbreaking stuff and incredible things. I think if people listen to this podcast right now thinking, oh my gosh, there might be a solution here. Uh, in the back of their mind, they're probably thinking of some tough questions, and I'm hopefully going to go over a couple of those. Um, so we we finished up the last segment talking about how you could not only uh, convert cannabis cash into real estate money when you, when after a closing, but you could also buy properties with it. We didn't talk about residential real estate, but I'm imagining that people can per- have you purchase residential real estate, hold that, and have that um, return cash flow for them. Um, is that idea that you're able to rent properties is that not is that something that makes you uncomfortable or would you rather complete the entire transaction because you're charging your nine percent and that's sort of the way your business model set up or are you comfortable with someone just converting their cannabis cash into residential properties and and having it work that way you know sean our goal was really when we started this not necessarily about the money don't get me wrong i like Mm -hmm. the money But um, our goal was really to help people and find a solution to help them move their cash 
in a legal and ethical way. So we have no problem with that. We would just, in that circumstance, um, when we've had clients that have talked to us, we've had to talk to them about, okay, well, how do we ultimately get paid? But we're really about being full service and working with the client in whichever direction they need, so long as they can get the cash off the street and into something that's better for them. Well, and the thing is, Shane, the service you're providing is incredible, in my opinion, because now I'm able to take cannabis cash, convert it into real estate, get that money back, and now I can move it across state lines. So I can do business, I can expand, I can do a lot of other things across state lines, which is just prohibited right now. Correct. Okay, so that in itself is a great reason. Shane, what are some of the objections? What's the number one objection you get from a seasoned investor when they call you and say, hey, this is too good to be true. I'm missing something. What sort of uh, accusations, accusations do you get? Uh, you know, do people use, do they say it's money laundering? I mean, what, what, what is the biggest objection that you get? You hit it on the head right there, Sean. Um, every client, when I first talk to them, say, oh my gosh, you're doing legal money laundering. And I always kind of joke with them and I say, you know, that's what makes my attorney cringe. Um, and I can't say that, but most of our clients do make references like that. Um, a lot of them at first are skeptical. A lot of them want to get their attorney or their marijuana consultant on the phone with us so that we can answer their questions. Um, some of them have even said, hey, can you get your lead attorney on the phone with my attorney so that we can go over this and see why indeed is it legal? And, you know, the big thing that makes it legal is, A, we're doing a, a couple of segments of legal items. Each, each segment is legal. But over and above that, it's really the disclosure, disclosure, disclosure. And anybody that's been in real estate, you learn that disclosure is really important. But in this case, it's the disclosures to the federal government. We have to identify the source of the income right off the bat. That's why people have to be current on their taxes and telling Uncle Sam where the money came from. We have to be able to identify, hey, we're going to be making this acquisition. Hey, we're going to be selling this property. When the client sells it, it better be disclosed on their taxes. And so, you know, I've had a lot of realtors that come that see us at different expos or trade shows or what have you. And they go, oh, my gosh, well, I, I don't need you. I'm a realtor. I could just do this myself. And I'm like, well, yeah, you could. But if you don't have a good, solid group of attorneys behind you doing all the proper compliance disclosures and all the proper federal disclosures, uh, you're probably going to end up 20 years in prison. So uh, have a good time. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, we get a lot of clients that say, oh my gosh, it's got to be money laundering. The other one that we get is a lot of people say, but if you're a realtor, why are you so expensive at nine and a half percent? Okay. And when I take a little bit of time to explain, hey, you know, average Joe realtor is 6%, but they don't have to go find the off-market property for you. They don't have to overcome all the seller's objections. They don't have to monitor it and do all the pre-marketing ahead of time. They don't have to schedule the contractors to come in and do the bids and make sure that they're on the job the day after it closes. They don't have to make sure that all the work is done. They just have to go sell it. And for going and selling it, they get 6%. We charge 95 because we got to do a whole bunch more. So those are okay. probably our two biggest objections. Okay. And are you taking the nine and a half percent on just the first transaction on the purchase or are you doing on the resale? Are you doing it twice? It, it's on the resale. 
Okay. So um, depending on the original seller, so that's the seller that's selling it to our client, um, we sometimes get paid by that seller if okay. there's enough meat on the bone. So that's how we get paid on the front end if there's enough enough room in the project. Um, but then we get 9.5% when we sell it. So one of the things I tell clients for kind of a comfort level is, remember, we don't get paid if this transaction doesn't work. So we right. have to pick those those properties that we know are going to get work, that are going to work or else we, we can't make any money. I, um, and I'm certainly not in this business not to make any money. Well, I think that's another huge positive. It's really customer service oriented because think about this for our listeners. You know, first of all, you're taking your cannabis cash, you're converting it into real estate. You don't have to part ways with your cash until you actually, and the closing actually happens. Then you don't pay out your realtor commissions until the sale of that property. So you are effectively in it with them. You have the risk as well. You have every incentive, which is more important, every incentive to go ahead and sell that property. You're correct. One of the things when we set out to find a solution to this, we really needed it to be a fair and reasonable solution. Again, you know, like I talked about earlier in, in the first portion of the show uh, before we went to commercial break, um, if I just said, hey, give me 400 grand and I'm going to get you back 310, 320, 350, that's a solution for me. It's not a solution for the client. We needed a way that it was a solution for them and that we were in the risk with them. Shane, has any, have any of these transactions gone south? I mean, give me the worst case scenario. Uh, is it a break-even proposition? Have you had any clients lose money? We haven't had any clients lose money. We're, we're usually within a little, it's actually a relatively small segment. So if somebody brings me a million dollars, they're going to get back the million dollars. That's what we've seen over and over. But then we do have some that actually have a small portion of capital gains. And when I say that, I just want to be clear to the audience, that's usually one to 2%. So if you brought me $500,000, you're going to get back 500 to 510. They just need to bear in mind that that uh, short-term capital gain, they've got to pay short-term capital gains on. So that's only on that five to $10,000 extra that they get back. In most circumstances, they're giving us half a million. They're getting back half a million. But we've had a couple that make the 1% to 2%. Well, when you're doing the 9.5%, you're doing your commission, but then you're also participating in the difference because you're marketing the property, you're selling it. If you can sell it for more, more power to you. But it should be clear to the listeners that they're not participating in that gain, nor do they probably, it sounds like they don't want to be involved with that tax situation anyway. You are correct. Okay, Shane. So how many of these deals have you done? Um, we have clients that we're working with about 40 clients right now that we're moving okay. forward with, um, on actual closed properties. I think we might have about 15 to 20 that have worked all the way through the process, but we have about 40 right now that we're in movement with. All right. And so are, when people do this once, they find out it works. Uh, there are no red flags. All of the disclosures have been made to the federal government. Everything's clean. It runs through. Do you generally have people saying, hey, Shane, do that again for me? They do. And the other odd thing that we found, because the cannabis industry is a little bit different. You know, I'm, I'm from the banking and real estate industry. Everything's a secret. Nobody wants to share information. The kind of cool thing that we found in the cannabis side is everybody's buddies 
everybody shares information. Um, it's a little bit different than the industries that I'm used to. So when that somebody completes a transaction, not only do they come back and say, hey, let's do it again. But when they do, they usually come back with three or four other people and say, hey, I also told Joe about this and I told Sarah about this. And so we pick up collateral clients that way. Excellent. Shane, well, thank you so much for being on today. How do we re- how do we get in touch with you? This is uh, first of all, I do want to thank you again for what you're doing. You recognize the problem in the industry. Everybody's dealing with cannabis cash. How to get rid of that? Um, you have done the research. You've got a great team of people. Uh, you're in contact. You're compliant with the federal government. You have got enough transactions under your belt to to I think give our listeners confidence enough to reach out to you and say, hey, let's do it. Um, you know, 40 clients, 15 to 20 transactions. That's a that's a great uh, body of work. So I applaud you for that. How do we reach out to you, Shane, if we want to get in touch and and find out if this is the right way to uh, to convert our cash? You know, Sean, um, probably one of the easiest ways is to reach out to us on the Web page, that Web page, um, nationalinvestmentconnection.com. Um, actually has the ability to have a client actually book their appointment. Um, That's a 30-minute free consult that they can book with me so that I can call them. The other way is to reach out to me by phone. Um, can be a little bit more difficult just simply because I'm doing phone consults all day. But that Mm -hmm. phone number is 702-557-6411. And if they reach out at that phone number, probably the best way to reach out to me if they're going to do that is to hit me by text so that we can schedule an appointment if they don't feel comfortable going to the website and scheduling that. Um, Again, it's not that I'm trying to avoid and not answer phone calls. It's just that I spend all day, every day in free consultations. And when I'm on the phone with somebody, I can't stop to pick up somebody else's call. Yeah, and I think your website, nationalinvestmentconnection.com, is a great sales tool. It breaks down what you do, what the problem is, and what the process is, and then there's a quick click there to connect you. So well done on that, keeping something simple and direct, Shane, that is otherwise uh, pretty complicated and can be scary for some. So thank you so much for doing this. No problem at all, Sean. I really appreciate you inviting me to be on the show so that we can let more people know that there is a solution out there, a legal solution. Absolutely. We do need to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be joined by attorney Jay Kotzker in a segment called This Week in Weed. He will discuss recent and relevant financial, political, and social events that affect you and your cannabis business. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Rolling into some sponsors, but we'll be right back with more Blunt Business. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? 
At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical balms, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com Strainwise Consulting is the most sought-after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts. We consulted on the first recreational license in the world and have had an over 95% success rate on applications submitted. The industry is growing at such an exponential rate that building a powerful and lasting cannabis business is a number one priority. Here's Strainwise's Sean Eubanks. In our first five years, we branded and supported nine medical and recreational marijuana dispensaries and a Approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. Strainwise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. I hope you didn't forget about us because we're back with Blunt Business on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back to Blunt Business. I'm your host, Sean Eubanks, Vice President of Business Development with Strainwise Consulting. And we have Jay Cosker, who is an attorney with Strainwise Consulting, general counsel. And we have a segment called This Week in Weed, where we're going to talk about some relevant information, very helpful sort of updates in the news. So welcome, Jay. Thanks. Appreciate it, Sean. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again for being here. Okay. So what's our first topic? Um, a lot going on. Obviously, uh, this is going to be a segment where we talk about you know industry news around the country. Um, we're going to start in Washington. There's a lot going on in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, tax reform bills. Um, spending packages, uh, and a lot of that implicates the cannabis industry specifically. Uh, want to start by kind of just applauding, um, you know, Senator Cory Gardner, a uh, Republican from here in the great state of Colorado. Um, he uh, attached an amendment to the, uh, the tax reform bill that the Senate was working on that would allow uh, legal cannabis operators, so cultivators, manufacturers, retailers, the ability to take normal business deductions like any other industry. Um, we know this as the, the, the 280E provision, yeah. um, which is a, a little history lesson. It was, it was a way to prevent cartel leaders from writing off airplanes, helicopters, fancy cars, yachts, things like that. Um, in the end, what it's done is really hamstrung the cannabis industry um, by forcing them to pay an effective tax rate of somewhere around 70%. Um, so Corey, so Corey um, and what I think is noteworthy about that is that, um, that he's a Republican, right? So we're yeah. seeing... We're seeing industry support um, that's bipartisan in nature and, and extremely, uh, extremely encouraging. I agree. And it's interesting to see how this thing plays out politically because you've got cuts, right? So this big tax bill looming, trying to get these tax cuts through and then trying to offset it with revenue and different things with the salt tax and others. Um, but here you have uh, bipartisan support uh, for them to help this. So, so how would, you know, Corey Gardner, how would he reconcile the fact that if you if you do away with 280E, you've lost revenue, right? Uh, well, I mean, in a sense, you've lost you you've basically given businesses the opportunity to deduct normal business expenses. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, on one side, yes, you're losing revenue, but at the same time, you're allowing these legal operators the ability to invest more money in the industry, hire more people, upgrade facilities. Um, so that money, I think, was direct gets put directly back into the industry. So it makes it back in. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, um, you know, his his amendment was was stricken in, in recent yeah. negotiations. 
Um, and it would have, you know, probably had a little bit of a, a fight anyway when they start reconciling the, the House version of the bill and the Senate version of the bill. Um, that said, I still think it's a, a positive development and something we need to keep an eye on going forward. Was this something you were excited about? I mean, I was kind of watching it thinking, oh, my gosh, is this happening? Like, is this being snuck in and the national media didn't cover it? Nothing happened there. A lot of our industry insiders were busy with other stories. But this was a big deal. I think it's a big deal. And, and especially, you know, because it's in our backyard and because Colorado relies um, very heavily on the cannabis industry for uh, its financial security, um, that it would have been a big deal. And I think it would have helped a lot of other states, too. Um, I don't think that we've seen the end of this. Um, representatives for Senator Gardner have said that they're going to continue to work with their you know, bipartisan colleagues to, to make sure that this provision finds its way into either a standalone bill or some other tax bill. Wonderful. So for the people of Colorado, Gardner's doing us doing us right. He, he is doing his part. That's right. That's Great. right. So also in Washington, yeah. um, we've got a we've got an impending deadline of December eighth. Um, we know that um, federal funding runs out yeah. um, if a if a, a new spending bill is not agreed to. Um, what we've seen in the past is that's just uh, continuing resolutions. Yeah. Um, and one of the key amendments to the the spending bill. Um, going back to 2014, has been the Rohrbacher, what was originally called Rohrbacher-Farr Amendment, um, now called the Rohrbacher-Brumenauer Amendment, um, which prevents the federal government from, um, you know, basically going after cannabis operators in states where they have legal programs. So should we, should the cannabis industry adopt sort of a de facto birth date? Because we should <laughs> celebrate Rohrbacher-Blumenthal now, right? I mean, we should celebrate that every year, should we not? I, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a key provision in you know federal aggressive DOJ. Um, right. It's 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 going to be interesting because um, you know the DOJ and, and you know Jeff Sessions and and some other people in in the current administration have come out um, very opposed to cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, if we give them the green light to use federal funding to enforce you know federal law, um, you know there could be bad bad scenarios ahead. And we don't want to think about this too much, but quickly, if if they, if for some reason Rohrbacher, Blumenthal, Rohrbacher Farr was not um, renewed, is that's the first step. But they also have to pass, pass a new budget to go after uh, enforcement, right? So there, it's a multi-step process, right? Or is it just full panic if it doesn't get renewed? Well, the the amendment basically prevents um, you know DOJ from spending funds. Right. If that amendment is not there, falls by the wayside, or expires. Um, then the you know the DOJ has a budget which has funds allocated for enforcement of federal drug laws. So that's existing now. They wouldn't have to write anything new, create something new. That's correct. That's okay. Correct. And and you know we've we've kind of seen the temperament of uh, the Department of Justice. Um, you know several months ago, um, Jeff Sessions wrote out to a lot of um, you know congressional leaders um, that support cannabis um, businesses and urge them not to renew the spending bill. Um, especially this this amendment to it, um, I don't I don't believe that those the that cannabis caucus of of congressional leaders are, are going to follow that. They have too much invested in their home states, um, and their you know their constituents rely heavily on um, you know the status quo to to continue operations. Okay, so fingers crossed that the government sort of runs this thing through. I, I think we've got December 8th. I think they're going to meet on the 7th, something like that. Right. I'm sure it'll go up to midnight on the 7th. And, you know, um, that, yeah. and another interesting thing is if, if, you know, if the government is shut down and, you know, we've seen President Trump come out and say that maybe a shutdown is a good thing. I'm not so sure about that. Right. Um, DEA agents and U.S. attorneys are exempted from furloughs because of okay. American public safety. 
So that could mean that while the rest of the federal government is shut down, those enforcement agencies that could potentially go after um, cannabis businesses are going to be continue working. I don't, mm. I don't want to scare everybody. I don't think right. this is something that's imminent, but it is something that the industry should definitely be keeping their eye on. Excellent. Thank you. What else is going on? Um, a report out of um, University of Connecticut and Georgia State University that is linking um, um, cannabis consumption um, increase with yes. um, a decrease in alcohol consumption and sales in, in states. Okay, excellent. And we've seen some of that. So uh, what was the decrease? Five, six percent? Actually, no. So they were looking at um, a number of counties, um, more than 2,000 counties between 2006 and 2015. And what they found uh, was that uh, counties that had consumers that were allowed to legally purchase cannabis, um, there was an experience reduction in a monthly alcohol sales of 15%. Oh my gosh. Which and, is very yeah. big. Um, and it's an interesting yeah. tension here in Colorado um, specifically because of the, you know, the support and the number of craft breweries that we have. Um, there's only so much vice spending to go around, I suppose. Well, yeah, and that's scary for the marijuana industry when you start to look at different um, segments that are against the legalization and understand the financial uh, consequences they have. So if, if, if alcohol is a $100 billion industry across the country and you start looking at 6%, 15% is the highest I've ever heard, sure. that is significant. You start taking them out 15%, they now are no longer lobbying, but they're just investing to keep, go, keep in business. And, and their money is a lot bigger than the amount of money that our groups, NCIA and others, are able to, uh, to contribute towards lobbying. That's right. They have a much more um, concerted lobbying base, um, something that I would like to see the, the cannabis industry as a whole kind of adopt, um, you know, the, the lobbying efforts and um, uh, continuity, if you, if you would, of the tobacco industry, of, you know, big alcohol, things like that. Um, I think what you'll also see is that some of the more sophisticated, forward-thinking um, alcohol brands, um, Constellation is a prime example of in Canada, are, are going to, instead of shying away from and, you know, outwardly, um, you know, opposing cannabis uh, legalization, they're going to be finding ways to participate in that industry. Well, and is it safe to say that there's a reduction in DWIs too? It sounds like a lot less alcohol consumption. 15% is unbelievable. Sure. Uh, are there less people driving out there? Is that, is that a safe assumption? Have we seen numbers on that? You know, I haven't seen any specific numbers. Um, I can tell you that in the state of Colorado, since um, legalization for adult use, I mean, there, there has actually been, while there was a slight uptick initially, there has been a decline in the number of uh, DWIs for, um, you know, based on cannabis um, intoxication. Excellent. Well, what else do you have for us? So um, we also want to talk about New Jersey. Um, yes. Big news coming out of New Jersey. Obviously, um, Chris Christie is, is out, um, you know, another month from now. Um, new governor will be sworn in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's a great, great thing. Um, very big news for the cannabis industry. Um, this new governor, um, Governor-elect Murphy, um, is a huge proponent of cannabis. Um, he's, he's kind of lobbied and his platform has been that he wants to see some sort of um, legislation legalizing adult use in New Jersey within his first hundred days. And that's incredible because you have the SALT tax, which is a part of the Republican tax plan that's going through right now. Uh, they've basically passed both houses. You have, uh, um, they're, they're going to work it out. The committee's going to work it out. Um, but the SALT tax is punitive to states like New Jersey, New York, um, oddly uh, and politically predictably blue states, right? Sure. Um, so that now makes the legalization of cannabis, which New Jersey is going to go recreational, that makes it imperative. He, I've seen estimates of 300 million in revenue that he's hoping for. 
Yeah, it's a it's an astronomical number, and it's um, it's great for states that you know have really high property tax rates um, up in the Northeast, Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, places like that. Um, you know, with the with the new tax bill, a lot of those residents could have their property tax deductions significantly reduced. Um, so the state's going to be looking for ways to increase that revenue if you if you have some of those people that ultimately decide to to leave the state because of that. And New Jersey pops up in the middle of sort of nowhere now. It's all of a sudden this hot state. It's you've got Pennsylvania, which has has, has stumbled in their program. Obvious challenges there. No flour. New York has its problems. New Jersey could emerge as the hub where people are going from other states going in to, to buy their cannabis. Absolutely. And you know it was it was something that really came on the radar very quickly. Um, you know, before all of the all of the hubbub on the East Coast was Maryland, Pennsylvania, um, Florida is obviously coming on a much slower pace and has some limitations. But those were the really the two hotbeds. And if New Jersey, um, you know, adopts full adult use legalization, I mean, I think the floodgates are going to open. I mean, can you imagine how many people are going to be, you know, leaving New York just to go, you know, across the bridge, um, buy their cannabis and, and come back home? Um, I think what you'll see is other states that have much more restrictive programs or no programs at all that neighbor a state like New Jersey mm -hmm. uh, quickly move in to adopt something. And so what a great thing for New Jersey. If you've been waiting for years and years for Christie to step aside, he's one of the most um, infamous um, anti-marijuana guys. He just has his beliefs. He's, he's stuck in his ways. Um, but for them to have it, you know, Governor-elect Murphy turn that quickly, it's really, really good and positive for the state of New Jersey. Absolutely. And I think another positive development is just, um, just last week, um, Governor Alec Murphy uh, appointed his chief of staff, who um, Peter Camerano, who's all, who was also the the head of the state's um, cannabis industry association. So okay. he continues to surround himself by you know pro cannabis people, and I think what you'll see is a really concerted effort to to move legislation along. Um, a final interesting note on that: yeah. if if it proceeds through and it and it's approved as everyone kind of expects that it will, though I'm mean, sure it will encounter some some resistance. Um, it would be the first state to legalize adult use cannabis through legislation. Um, everybody else has kind of done it through um, through elections and allowed the people to vote on that. But this would be a legislative process, which is pretty exciting to see from a legal standpoint. Absolutely. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being on this segment. It's been illuminating all this relevant uh, financial, political, some social parts of it. Just a great, great segment. I appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Look forward to it. Absolutely. And you guys have been listening. I want to thank you all for joining us, us on this edition of Blunt Business. You can download episodes of our program by going to CannabisRadio.com, BluntBusinessRadio.com, or subscribing to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and now iHeartRadio. Have an outstanding rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. Opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.